0: This is the Touchy Subjects
1: podcast. My name is Erin Billings, and I am your host. On this episode, we had a guest host. Her name is Lee Adams, and she is having a conversation with Joe Lewiman and Rebecca Jones on deconstructing culture. Hope you enjoyed this session. All righty. First of all, ladies, thank you again for being here. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your presence. Um, really want to kind of just dive in to the, um, some of the discussions that have been going on and uh, within uh, the deconstruction of Christianity and religion, um, but from the perspective that we as women of color have, uh, which of course is the majority of the world, but if we're just looking at our our personal experiences with how we deconstructed um, with our own cultural backgrounds behind us um, and around us, um, there is of course a difference in the way that women of color, people of color, do you know a lot of things um, versus our white counterparts our more evangelical counterparts, and um, there's a special um, kind of a special way that we are approaching our deconstruction of our Christianity and of our religion. And so just wanted to get some perspectives um, that may be excluded from the more general conversation um, that is uh, that is taking place today around this topic. So um, I, can, I can say for myself as an African-American, as a woman, um, a lot of the things that I've experienced when it comes to kind of Taking a different look at Christianity, um, for me, for from my African American perspective, as it were, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, and with the perspective that I've uh, come up with as an African American, family is important, and when you don't quite align with the dynamic, you know, from a religious standpoint if you don't really align with that, there's no, you know, just, oh, I'm going to cut my family off. You know, that's, that's what white people do. We don't really do that. So it's one of those things where um, as I've looked at my Christianity and started to ask questions and uh, just really kind of dived in to find out what Christianity means and religion means for me as a, you know, as an individual um, and how that kind of can bump up against some of those family traditions of, first of all, you don't talk about questions that's not a thing um and then also the conflict that can come up between my blackness and my relationship to christianity like how steeped in the holy ghost you are can define how black you are um how you can shout and buck up and down the aisles it's a part of being black just like you know, eating collard greens and, you know, going to your grandma's house, you know, it's, it's very, it's very a part of it. And so when you start asking questions about, do we really need to do that? Is that really biblical? Is that what Jesus said? Um, it can be difficult to walk away from those aspects without also walking away from the entire culture that you were raised in. So that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Just kind of open the floor a bit, but, um, I want to know, uh, Joe, your perspective um, from your Colombian heritage and from your Latin perspective, uh, Latinx perspective, forgive me. um, What are you feeling uh, as far as the as the breakdown uh, when it comes to culture and your deconstruction journey?
2: Yeah. So it it's there are a lot of similar uh, conversations, you know. Family is such a big deal for us. There is no like boundaries look very very different in our families than they do in white families. Um, you know, I was I was talking to my husband's white, and I was I talk to my family every day, every day. I talk to my sister every day, and he talks to his siblings you know, very seldom, and it's normal. And growing up, he would see his cousins for Thanksgiving, and I saw my cousins every weekend. Like, these were the people I grew up with, my best friends, my closest friends. And so when we are talking about... Setting boundaries with family uh, because they may not be affirming of certain theologies or because some theologies that they hold on to are harmful is not that simple because we are so deeply connected. They are our most uh, they are the closest support system that we have, and I think that that comes from also being minorities in other places. And for me, as an immigrant in another country, uh, my my biggest support system is my family. My connection to my family is so important to me. So. I cannot cut them off. I can't, because then I'll be alone. I'll be completely left alone in a country so far away. And so I have to navigate the conflict of disagreeing with some of the theologies. And the thing is that in in our family, and I don't know if this is all of um, Latin Americans, but at least in my family, we are okay with disagreeing. Like it's completely fine disagreeing with theology because our religion is more cultural than it is about being right about theology. It's more like, oh, this is what we do culturally. So I was just celebrating on, on December 7th, Colombians light candles to initiate the holiday season, the Christmas season, more particularly. And it comes from a Catholic tradition that celebrates the conception of Mary, uh, like Mary's conception of Jesus on December 7th is the day that they celebrated the Catholics. I didn't even know that growing up. We just lit candles and had fun like it had nothing to do with religion for us. It was just this cultural thing that we did together where we got together with family, we ate a lot of food, lit candles and chatted about all all kinds of things. So when people say like, well, you just have to let go of all religious traditions, they don't understand that a lot of these traditions are actually cultural for us and they have nothing to do with necessarily toxic abusive religion because I don't have a problem with theology. I have a problem with toxic theology but theology can be beautiful and I make room for that A theology that's beautiful, I have learned, is theology that comes from the margins. So liberation theology, womanist theology, black theology, queer theology, this is theology that comes from margins that has helped us all be able to make sense of the marginalization that we experience in the world. So it's really easy for you to wash your hands off of all theology when you don't experience marginalization. But when it has been historically uh, a, a tool that your ancestors have have been able to use to be able to make sense of the marginalization, to be able to survive that marginalization, it's not that simple to just walk away. You know, Uh, uh, for, for my indigenous ancestors, we're talking about being able to make sense of colonization through theology that was beautiful, through saying, even through all of this, even through all of this mess, even through all of this pain, God is with us and God needs us. And that's very, very different than saying, God is with me, so he gave me permission to take your land, you know? (laughs) So we're having two very different conversations, and there are different theologies, and I feel like often the conversation from white spaces is, all religion is evil, let go of it all, that's the problem, like, no, 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 all religion married to power is evil, but when we're talking about people from the margins, our religion hasn't always been married to evil. It it hasn't, and we get to reclaim, as as marginalized people, we get to reclaim whatever parts we want to reclaim of it. Um, Even recognizing that we are Christians because of colonization. And so for for my family and I, it's been more a conversation, like we keep having these conversations because there is no cutting off my family. They are my biggest support system. And listen, I could, I could become a Satanist and my family would be like, we love you. We're here. We disagree with you, but we're here for you and we'll hug you and we'll celebrate your birthday and we love your children. Like there is just not cutting off family in our cultures.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love the, what you said about, um, theology from the margins. Um, I think honestly, that's the most, that's the closest to Jesus that we can come. Yeah. That's the truest right. theology. That's the truest form of Christianity because he was a representation of the margins. Right. And I think that white theology, with all of their, you know, their manifest destinies and whatnot, they kind of forget that. And that's the part that some of our the more toxic side of the marginalized theology the more toxic side of that where we grab on to that patriarchal you know god is with me and so i get to have a bunch of stuff you know that type of theology is what has created it's like we're copying the we're copying the colonizers and that's against our culture Right. You know, but it has become a part of our culture in a toxic way. And that's just one of those things. I've, I really enjoy that point. I'm going to write that down. Um, <laughs> that's nice. Um,
2: revenge- <laughs> like, in, well, that, like what part of my huge part of my deconstruction was actually studying Jesus as a Jewish man. Not a mm-hmm. Christian person, not a Christian Messiah, not a Christian, just a Jewish man, because Jewish people were marginalized. And, and thinking of Jesus as this Jewish man who was standing against an empire, i that's why I'm still a Christian, mm-hmm. you know? Because it made sense from that perspective. But from a perspective of power, it like you have to really, really um, manipulate this Bible to be able to make it make sense. Wow, that's,
1: yeah because like you said him being he comes from the margin he represents the margins because he came from the margins he represents the downtrodden because he came from the downtrodden and so as we as we as christians are developing or deconstructing or figuring out you know how can we teach this to our children and not be ever so slightly ashamed of what we are giving you know remembering that perspective that our story is Jesus's story. Our way of doing this is Jesus's way of doing this. If we take away the foolishness that has been put in there, you know, that's, yeah, that's something. That's something. Rebecca, you provide a, you know, a number of interesting perspectives on this, Um, with your beautiful self. You provide an amazing perspective here as you are a adoptee a transracial adoptee um and can you tell us about your your journey in your Christianity and in in the and the journey thereof I'll just put it that way yeah (laughs)
0: um yeah so I was born in India and was adopted when I was about nine months old to uh white parents and um I was raised in, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill evangelical environment, and a characteristic of being in the evangelical world is that it is predominantly white, and so um, I was, you know, the only person of color in many, many rooms, many friend groups, all of it, Um, and so a huge part of my deconstruction, um, aside from just the evangelical toxic theology that's very present um was also r- recognizing and unlearning a lot of the internalized white supremacy and privilege that i was just steeped in my whole life whether it like it was a- at least within my home it was unintentional um but it, there were definitely some very problematic things i heard from the pulpit and um everything but it's been <sighs> It's been interesting kind of like walking that line of um, I'm clearly a woman of color, but also like I don't feel. I I don't feel Indian because I didn't grow up. I I didn't grow up in India. I didn't grow up in an Indian home. So um, I I feel like I I just had to, you know, adapt to the, the whiteness of the culture around me because that's all I was surrounded with. And so um, kind of a, a big part of undoing the white supremacy with that with me is just actually undoing what the dominant narrative about adoption is in um, the for adoptees. Because um, only recently have adoptees been able to really reclaim what it means to be adopted thanks to social media um and for the longest time you just had to sit under this narrative of well you were rescued from your home country and here's xyz why it's a great thing that you're growing up in america instead of your impoverished nation Um, and you know you're so fortunate you need to be grateful blah 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 and any adoptee would tell you it's not that we're not grateful, but also, um, it, it's, I shouldn't say every adoptee, but the majority of them will say, insert that caveat. Um, but it's also, there's a huge, especially for transracial adoptees, there's a huge chunk of our identity missing because we just weren't exposed to it or we were excluded from it. And, um it's it's a big process to kind of unlearn the narratives the the white supremacist narratives surrounding your identity as an adoptee. so yeah
1: um I, I, the point that you made about the um your experience and that you were raised in very white spaces, and you from our conversations before, you had great parents, amazing parents. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah. And you were, and the space that you were raised in was a loving and beautiful space. Um, But the places that you were taken to were not always quite as open and loving, um, be it intentional or not. But the spaces that you were taken to were not loving. How do you, how do you feel, how do I say, when it comes to kind of squaring the circle of what Christianity means to you, Mm-hmm. Versus how it was presented to you. What has been that journey uh, for you so far? As you kind of look back on your childhood versus look forward to your adulthood, how do you think uh, that you're kind of kind of making sense of that that transition between what's Christianity then? What is Christianity for me now?
0: Yeah, I think for me it's been in doing so much of white. Pres- white supremacy that was presented as theology, that was presented as Jesus, but when I actually look at the story of Jesus, and like Joe was touching on, like learning about him simply as a Jewish man, because um, that's been an approach that I've been enjoying uh, recently, um, it's not at all the same thing, um, and it it's very, it's, it's just very, telling of the motives when you have an exclusionist classist theology that empowers you to oppress and um, marginalize people versus the God you say you worship was radically inclusive for his day. And I believe he would be radically inclusive today as well. Like he, that's just what he does. And um, so, yeah, for me, a big part of undoing some of the Christianity that was presented to me was this whole saviorism idea. Um, Because, again, that's a narrative that a lot of adoptees are served as you were rescued, you were saved, you were whatever. Um, And a big part of my journey has just been like reflecting on okay well what if I wasn't like would I have a somewhat normal childhood or would I have you know um I, I would at least have my my uh ethnic identity in intact um and so it it doesn't have to be this colonizer we're saving you from yourself situation um rather now it's like how can I be brought more into the fullness of who I am more into the wholeness of who I'm created to be um because I think that's that's what Jesus was trying to do ultimately he was just trying to see the fullness of God and everyone around him whether they were excluded from the system or not and um even even the people in the system. He was trying to get them to see the fullness of God in themselves as well, but they rejected it um, because they thought they were already there. But um yeah, it's been it's been a journey for sure. I think Jesus just means so much more as a liberator and a a person who is with those who aren't seen and don't have a voice. He means so much more to me in that context than in this very pompous King of Kings regalia, if you will, so. (laughs) That's good, that's good.
1: Um, The process, the process, right? um, Of going from, my childhood version of Jesus (laughs) to my adult version of Jesus is very similar where it's kind of stripping away um, and getting down to the man that Jesus was um, and where he came from and, and his culture and what that meant, you know, in the grand scheme of the world at the time. And I do believe that he would be a radical force. He was a radical force then. He's a radical force now. I think that with the but it kind of doesn't work with the you know king of kings lord of lords and so are we type mentality (laughs) um that doesn't work it's not very empowering to wash feet so you know that's not so you know that's not as as cool and so i think that um as as we've as we've journeyed toward the true identity of jesus and the true identity of our christianity um, I think that it makes a great deal of sense to really take a look at the cultural importance that he was at that time and where his, and how his culture informed him, um, just as our culture informs us right now. Um, Joe, you spoke about boundaries a little bit earlier. Um, now, of course, in our families, there's no cutting off. And so if there's an issue, There's a way that we can still be at the table without fighting um, and without, you know, screaming at grandma uh, who says you might go to hell. But there's a way to, there's a way to, to toe that line. How do you uh, create boundaries? How have you created boundaries on your uh, deconstruction journey?
2: It's been a whole entire ordeal (laughs) Um, because I have, my husband's family is all white and then I have my family and then boundaries for both sides have been very different and I have four children and so I have to set boundaries because I want my children to not be subjected to toxic abusive theology that ends up being just psychological trauma Uh, so for for the white side of the family I just continue to share you know like this is what I believe and I would love to be respected in that and it's very hard for them uh, so what they've chosen to do is distance themselves from me it, it wasn't me who chose that. It was them who chose that. And I'm fine with that. But for my family, I met them with a lot of honesty. I, I remember when I sat with my dad and I said, dad, I need you to know, clearly, obviously, my theology is changing rapidly. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And and at this point in in my own journey, I don't believe in God as a being anymore. Uh, I do believe in divinity, but not in God as a being. And I said, and I need us to talk about that. But I need you to know that I'm so scared to lose you. I'm scared that if I'm honest with you, I'm scared that if I tell you how my theology is very, very inclusive of all people, people that might make you uncomfortable, um, that that, that I'll lose you, that you, you're going to distance yourself from me. And so would you be willing to just have conversations with me and keep meeting me because I don't want to lose you. I want to stay in relationship with you, but I want to be able to have room to be my own person and make my own choices and change my mind uh, about a lot of things. And my dad said yes. And so this was like six six and a half years ago and we meet my dad and I meet often uh, at the least twice a month and we sit down and have dinner and he asks me a lot of questions and we disagree on a lot of things and we respect each other's disagreements we just you know so long as nobody's being harmed so when he's like he said things before that are homophobic for instance I'm like well that's homophobic and he his approach is can you explain to me how It's never no I'm not homophobic I'm the best person in. he's always like can you explain to me how and so I explain it to him and often he's like oh I didn't I hadn't thought of that perspective and and that's actually that has happened with my mother-in-law too I, you know we have all these conversations and she's a white woman and she makes comments and I say well that's racist and she goes what do you mean? And I'm like, well, because um, it's obvious for me how it's racist, but somehow it's not obvious for her. And so I explain it, and she goes, Oh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I hadn't considered that. Um, so thankfully, I have people in my life that are willing to do that, you know, and have that conversation. There are other people with whom I've said, I do not. I, can we just not talk about that? I don't think that we're going to agree, and this is just going to lead. To a lot of conflict. And it's conflict that I just don't want to get into. I, I don't want to get into it. Uh, and that's with my Colombian family, you know, like, I, it's just not worth it right now. I don't want to do this. We don't have enough tam- family time together. Um, So I'm happy to talk to you if you're willing to meet me with the same energy, like I'm willing to be listening to you. But I need you to meet me with the same energy. And, and I think that's the, the, the other thing, right? There is so much much childism in our world that when children, the younger people are talking, they are like, well, you're just children. And there is never that switch of they are adults. Uh except I am. I am an adult. I'm almost 40 years old. I have four children. I've studied plenty. I am an adult. And so I, I remind them like you're talking to an adult. You are not talking to the child you changed diapers for. She she was beautiful and cute and everything, but she's gone. It's me now. So I need you to talk to the adult and, and meet me as an adult that has you know, thoughtful ideas. And and so just challenging things in, in very thoughtful ways. And I am a super patient person. I, I do not know how, but I'm very patient. So I patiently go like, you're, you're meeting me with that energy again. You're, you're meeting me with that energy. Again. You're doing it again. <laughs> uh, and I have to say though, I, I live 3,000 miles away from my family. That changes everything for me. There are fights that are not worth fighting for me. I'm too far away. I I, I need them. I need their support. I need their love. I need their, their, these unconditional, like, we'll be there for you. And I know I can call them and be like, I need you to come. And they'll be like booking a plane right now. We like, so I need that. And I have that, uh, in a way, it's a privilege to have that distance. uh, Because a lot of theological issues are less important for me than having a relationship with these people. It's a lot more important for me. Uh, we've been able to have a lot of conversations about homophobia uh, because Latin American culture is very homophobic as well as very racist. And so we've been talking about racism and we've been talking about homophobia and we have good conversations. We just have really good conversations uh, because we have to, but it's never these, if you don't agree with me, we're done. It's more like, hey, it looks like this conversation is getting really heated. So let's just put it on, let's just put it on the shelf and we'll come back to it. And I love you, you love me. That was super racist, Um, we'll we'll talk again. Um, We'll talk again because you're too upset. And so I value so much the relationship with my family that I'm willing to put some things on the shelf for a minute and come back to them instead of demanding that they agree with me. Because that demand that they agree with me is whiteness. That is whiteness. That is white supremacy in us. This desire, you have to agree with No, they don't. They don't. It takes time. It takes a minute. We've all been indoctrinated. I recognize their indoctrination. And I recognize that it took me time to, to deal with my internalized racism, to deal with my internalized anti-indigenous ideologies, to deal with my internalized homophobia. It took time and people that were patient with me. And so I can, I can extend that. I, I don't have to be this colonizer. You have to agree with me or we cannot be in a relationship. I value them more than that. And I can continue to come back. See, Life is short and also long. I have enough time to keep meeting them and keep meeting them and keep because they are my family. Now, a new friend that is a white person that wants to keep espousing races. No, I don't have time. That's a different boundary. I'm done by. Uh, but my family... I have the energy, the patience, the time and the love and the grace to keep on meeting them. I don't need them to agree with me. I just need them to meet me with the same energy. Like, will you meet me with the same energy? I respect you and you respect me. That's it. You don't know better than me and I don't know better than you. We both know what we know and we can keep meeting each other. And that's what I keep coming to. Can we meet each other with that energy that we're both important? Our perspectives are both important, but we're going to listen to each other the best that we can. And the moment that this gets too heated and my nervous system is too activated, we're gonna put this on the shelf and I'll come back to you because you matter too much for me to let you go over a theological issue.
1: Wow, Uh, yeah, Uh, all that, yes. Um, (laughs) Me and Rebecca just up here like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Wow, okay, so let me break that down. First of all, let's hit on I am not a child, I am a full adult. Whoa, that is a conversation I am having with my mother tonight. Um, It's so hard. hard. And I know it's a cultural thing, but I know, and, and of course, it can be layered because of the cultural aspect of it. Like, I'll always be little girl. Like, I am little, little girl, my big sister is little girl. Like that's period. Like I still have people calling me Weeble because yeah. I was a really fat baby. So I am 33, <laughs> I have my own little fat baby. So, you know, but for for life, I will be a child in some respects. And so demanding the respect versus asking for the respect versus letting the respect just not even happen that's a journey. And that has been a struggle, even when I tried to, you know, try to bring theology to my, to my parents and, you know, my questions about it and, and my, and, and my issues with it. A lot of things my parents agree on, thankfully. Um, my parents were very, uh, very involved in making sure that we were very informed children as we were growing up in a Pentecostal uh, Christian uh, Christian world. And so, I'm grateful for that, that I can bring questions and I can bring things, but there are lines and there are boundaries to where it's kind of like, little girl, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so being able to walk away without demanding that they respect how I feel and, they de- and demand, because at the end of the day, like you said, life is too long and too short, both at the exact same time. And it's a matter of picking one's battles And, but yet at the same time, I can still live my truth at my house. Right. And that, that is so important to be able to see those two things and be able to also walk away from situations still with your truth intact, but still being able to walk away from situations that can become, you know, that can break relationships if we allow them to. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that is a level of whiteness where it's like, I don't care if the relationship's broken with my mother. It's like, oh no, I definitely care if my relationship is broken with my mother.
2: I won't make it. it. Yeah, I wanted to mention too that we live in a white supremacist world. Like everywhere you walk, white supremacy is the reality and therefore whiteness is comfort. Uh, But for people of color and depending on the different intersections of marginalization that you have, there are less and less a space where we are safe. We don't have enough spaces where we are safe, where we don't have to walk on eggshells and think three and four times about what we're saying. And for those of us who have families of color that are safe, um, they are a safe space. And since we don't have enough of them, we don't get to just be like, eh, no, I don't want that safe space. No, we we want them, we need them because we don't have enough of them. The world, everywhere I walk, whiteness is the norm. Everywhere I walk, every conversation I have, I have to think three and four times. I have to navigate microaggressions. I have to be like, oh, how are you gonna respond if I say these, but not with my family. I don't have to do that with them. So I can't let them go, you know? And, And I don't think that white people recognize that because they are safe everywhere, especially white men. They are safe everywhere. So they don't have to consider that there are less spaces of safety for us. And therefore we, we have to keep them, we hold on to them. We we They are precious to us. It, it's very different when you don't have enough safety. As soon as you have safety, you, that's precious to you. You hold on to it.
1: Rebecca, when you're looking at space and creating safe spaces for yourself, um, your interpretation of your culture is much different because not having the childhood in the, in your birth country, you know, not mm-hmm. having that experience, you're pretty much kind of from, this is just me just understanding based off of what you said, um, you're kind of creating your own path. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. And the fact that you don't quite have the same, like, you know, kind of that same push behind you that me or that Joe have been that we're, you know, we're raised in our, in our culture. Um, how are you navigating, pushing through to create your own kind of digging your own safe space in the world that you that you live in every day?
0: Yeah, um, I think for me, it's one. I'm really grateful to live in a really diverse area. We have you know tons. There is a huge Indian population where I live, um, and that's been really nice just to have the visual affirmation of like, okay, I belong here. I can be here. I can be in this town (laughs) and somebody else looks like me. Um, but for me in my family, um, it's been, it's been interesting, I guess, kind of navigating that. Um, my, my parents are awesome and I don't have any desire to impose any hard boundaries on them at all. Um, I had to go no contact with, a a close family member because they were abusive to me in my childhood and it was just for for my own health I needed to just cut it off um but beyond that I don't want to impose any boundaries that would be like well it's me it's my opinion or else um because they're the only family I've ever experienced and so um for me it's very important to hold that as close as I can um (laughs) But, yeah, it's been interesting because as I try and learn about my culture and integrate my culture, you know, I have a son now, so I want him to, um, you know, know where he comes from, too, and it's been interesting because my whole life – So much of Indian culture is just cultural Hinduism. It's not that everybody is necessarily a Hindu, but it's just part of the culture. And growing up in evangelicalism, that was labeled as pagan and wrong and sinful. And um, so exploring Hinduism has a lot of really beautiful theology to it, and recognizing it for the beauty and the vibrancy that it is, I'm just like, oh my gosh, why was this demonized my entire life, and so really kind of embracing, you know, new traditions, it comes both with this huge appreciation for what they are and also kind of a grief, I guess, because like this year I was really having a hard time around Diwali season because um, I just kept seeing on social media so many South Asian people that I follow just posting all their Diwali celebrations. And I was just like, I want that. I can't have it, but I I want it. Um, And so learning how to not just appreciate them for myself, but also, figure out how we can incorporate that into our own little family has been interesting. Um, as far as, you know, I I think anti-racism work is for everybody, not just white people. Um, so when we have very, the, the majority of both my husband and my family, um, they are very conservative in every sense of the word. And, um, so it, it's interesting because I'm in, at least for my husband's family, I'm the only person of color at any given family situation. Um, so when I hear racist, homophobic, you name it, things, it's very difficult being the only person speaking up about it because I'm, I, I'm not only just the physical minority and that I'm not white, but I, I'm also the... Uh, ideological minority as well. And so um, it's kind of a double whammy. So I have to be very calculated and very intentional when I do bring those things up. um, Because it's very easy to be labeled as the crazy in law, basically. Um, And so um, it's been interesting navigating it. My, My personal boundary is I don't talk about, I won't speak up about something unless it's like very clearly harmful but um if it's a more like subset category of a topic I won't discuss it unless I actually have learned about it more (laughs) um just so I can have a little bit of my own backing to be like well here I can give you some books or I can give you some podcast episodes or I can give you something to pass off um where you can learn about this more but um yeah it's been it's been a journey for sure of just appreciating where I come from while also kind of just discovering it for the first time and, um, appreciating boundaries, but also appreciating family too. Cause if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have any experience of family anyway. So, um, and for me, that's really important. So,
1: yeah, it's like, um, something that was said before, um, we can't throw away it all. We can't throw it all away. You just can't, you know, because we'd be alone and being alone in our, I don't know if it's just in general, but the importance of being with the people that care about us, it's crucial. It's crucial. And I think that with Without, with everything that's happening today and you know with our different awakenings and appreciations for things, these things are opportunities for us to get closer, not pull, not pull apart, but sometimes people will allow it to get in the way of progress. And so you know as we journey and, and continue on our our personal interpretations of life and we introduce it to the people around us, yeah, you're not, it's not always going to be something that's welcomed, especially when you're the only brown person in the room, in the family, in the space, in the workplace, you know, and I think Joe was talking about having to, you know, having the, the safe space of our families where we can be more ourselves. We can be our best selves in some ways and uh, our most authentic selves in some ways. Sometimes we, you know, we have to toe the line on, on some of those, but we can be our best selves because they are our family. They know us best. They care about us the most. And being able to navigate that space with love and with patience and with understanding, I think that that's a beautiful thing that that is brought to the table. Um, that they have no idea what all we what what stress is happening on the back of our necks, but we're, <laughs> but we're offering grace. We're offering grace because someone gave us grace when we were figuring this out. So um, one of the last points I wanted to make, just really fast. Um, what are some of the resources, uh, both Joe and Rebecca? What are some of the resources that you've kind of tapped into? Be it, um, was it reading books? Was it finding a community online? Was it, you know, the people around you? You know, what are some of the resources that tap, that you were able to tap into in order to further your deconstruction journey?
2: I can go. Um, Well, I I read a lot and I, this is my work too. Um, So I was a pastor, my husband was a pastor, I have a master's degree. So this was my work too, like studying theology was part of my work. So I read a lot um, and I tried to listen to a lot of different voices. But one, I remember I was finishing my master's and I remember looking at all of the books that I had. And every single one was from a white theologian, every single one, every, most of them men, but some women, but most of them men, men, white theologians from European descent, most of them. And I remember thinking, I'm sure that everybody else has theology. Like everybody else has had something to say. And I started making this effort to find all of these theologies from other places. And I took two years uh, at, at the beginning. I said, for two years, I will not read any white authors, none. Uh, and when people say that it's like, oh, we just, like, so white people have nothing to say. Yes, I read them for 30 something years. It's not that I am not acquainted with their theology. I'm plenty acquainted. I'm not saying throw away all white theology. I'm saying I had already listened to it all, read it all. I had been submerged in it and I needed to balance that with perspectives from the margins. So two years where I said, I'm not going to listen to any white theologians. I want to read all of the people of color, not just on theology, but on all the things I wanted to read all of the people of color and I wanted to listen to Jewish people and I wanted to listen to Muslim people. And so I started being so intentional about looking for those voices everywhere I could podcasts, books, Uh, social media, I started following quietly, by the way, I started following people quietly because I recognized that I had a lot of implicit biases that were so harmful, especially about trans people, Muslim people, atheist people. I had a lot of implicit biases that were so deeply harmful. And I knew that if I spoke up, the, the probabilities of causing harm were very high. And so I sat there and listened and I listened. For two years, I just did nothing else. I listened, learning, theology from Muslim people and from Jewish people was mind-boggling to me. And there, this is something I learned from Donnell. Donnell, I'm sorry, Donnell. Uh, I forgot his last name, but he's Donnell writes everywhere on social media. And he talked about uh, religious pluralism. He said, religion is something like a language to me. The language that makes sense to me is the language I grew up in and the things that I've learned with my family and those around me. But it doesn't mean that it's the right language. Is the right language for me. Uh, and it doesn't mean that I cannot learn from other languages. And so, you know, that, that that has been the most helpful thing for me, considering that I don't have right theology. I just have the theology that makes sense for me. And I can learn so much from other people's theology because divinity is expansive like that. And it meets us all wherever we are. And so I was very intentional about listening from the, the trans, queer theologians listening from the Black perspective, from indigenous perspectives. Indigenous perspectives on theology are beautiful. And by indigenous, I mean all indigenous people, not just America indigenous, but you know, Southeast Asia, Africa, indigenous people, even Australia, indigenous people. It just, well, that's Southeast Asia, but you know what I mean, kind of like Australia. so, yeah, I was just listening to as many perspectives as I could because I was also super poor. So I couldn't afford to like pay for classes or buy a lot of books. So I was just on social media and I was listening to as many perspectives as I could. And so I created a whole bunch of lists of resources and things like that. But I think that it's just this willingness to listen to those who have been othered by you. This, this willingness to say, perhaps I don't know it all. And perhaps I just have this one perspective and perhaps dualism, which is this right or wrong view of the world is not serving me. And I can hold a whole bunch of gray and a whole bunch of just messy nuance. And both, I love Christianity and I hate Christianity at the same time, all the time, every day. Both of those. And am I contradicting? Absolutely. Is that okay? Yes, that too. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that that has been so helpful for me being able to make room for all that. And and when Rebecca was speaking about her own reclaiming, I've been doing a lot of that too. You know, My colonization is is much more distance than yours, uh, but, but I was stolen from, we were all stolen from. I don't know what my indigenous ancestors, I don't know a lot about my indigenous ancestors. I've been reclaiming the language. I've learned a lot about the language and it's so beautiful. And I've been reclaiming a lot of the traditions, a lot of the beliefs, a lot of the ways of being. Uh, and, and it's beautiful, this reclaiming. And I've been teaching my children about that too, because we get to reclaim and we get to call back. And I get to exist in this reality that Christianity is part of my tradition and my ancestors are Christians too, and uh, Jewish people too, and also indigenous people who, were, uh, who, who went through cultural genocide. And, and this reclaiming is beautiful to me too. And it's holy, this holy work the reclaiming is holy for me. So so I've been doing that, just listening to, and, and Hinduism is stunning. And I started reading the Vedas and I understand very little from it, but I'm loving it. Like I'm loving listening from Hindu, you know, theologians and li- reading the Vedas, which are much older than anything Christianity has ever had uh, and have so much in common because we are at the end of the day, humans, right? And we all are trying to make sense of this human experience. And so meeting the other, I think, one of you said, it, meeting the other, as there is divine in you, and I'm going to meet you that way. And I, I am so excited to learn from you. And I might not learn all the things and adopt all the things, but there is this syncretism that is happening where we I, le- I get to learn from you and be be made better from that perspective. So I don't need to toss everything and I don't need to keep everything, but I get to meet and we get to create this web, I guess, where we are connected in some ways, but we are not the same because um that desire to be like this the same the sameness i forgot the word that i'm looking for this this desire to have um uniformity that's the word the, the, the uniformity is a characteristic of white supremacy i don't need uniformity uh, uniformity is ugly it demands then that we adapt right into other ways of being instead I am so much more interested in other ways in different languages I want to listen to all the other languages and I know I'm going to learn from it and sometimes my language is not a lot of important so I'm quiet but yeah that those are the resources I can offer a whole bunch of like (laughs) just listen to the people
1: (laughs) beautiful beautiful Rebecca what do you think What, what were some of the resources that you've that you've tapped into to kind of push you along on this this deconstruction journey as a whole?
0: Um, <laughs> kind of like what Joe said, I just like listening to all of it. Um, I know that's a really unhelpful answer, but <laughs> um, I, I uh, really started to, I, right now I've been really loving listening to queer theologians. They have just this, tenacious freedom behind them and it's something that I just didn't get to listen to and experience before and so um reading voices like uh Kevin Garcia and um oh there's there's other people out there um I that Naturally, I'm blanking on all of them right now. But um, <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I've been really. That's kind of been where I've landed for like for the past few months. Um, and then another book I read over the summer. I think it recently came out. Um, is by Kat Armas, and it's called Abuelita Faith. And I love that book. It was. Um, it's both you know, marginalized theology and also womanist theology as well. And um, she brings to life so many stories of women in the Bible that are often just kind of overlooked, or their stories are told through the lens of how does this woman's story benefit the man. And um, so hearing how she just brings to light this autonomous perspective like no this woman is her own person and she was operating in her in in that uh even if you know it seemed like she was going along with something um or aiding something she was she was being defiant because she she could she was holding her own personhood um and so that that's been a book that I've been like telling everybody to go read (laughs) Um, and uh yeah but yeah like joe i just am hungry at this point i just want to listen to everybody um i think i i don't like i don't like the table language like everybody has a place at the table because i think i just want to get rid of the table and just you know sit we're we're just gonna have a picnic like it's fine um but (laughs) um Yeah. I just want to listen to everybody. I think, you know, having so many years, I I just feel so duped that God was made to be so small and so understandable and so just easy to handle and easy to manage. Um, I feel so duped for the past, you know, 25 years, that's where I lived. And now that I'm kind of out of that, it's just, it's just, so much more color and so much more freedom to just enjoy and just be with people and listen to people. So um, yeah, pretty much basically everything Joe said. (laughs) Well, we are throwing out the
1: table right here and we are coming together with our picnics (laughs) and our problems. We're throwing it all out. We're throwing it all out, ladies. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both so much for your perspective. For your sorry, for your perspectives. Oh, uh, thank you for your sharing, for your honesty, for your vulnerability. You all, if you if you know nothing else today, you have inspired me to continue on this journey and to be bolder in my journey. I have been afraid on this journey, and you two have in just this conversation, if you've done nothing else, you've helped me. So thank you. Thank you. And I know I'm not going to be the only one. So thank you both for your truth. Thank you both for your sharing. Let's let's change this world. Thanks for joining us on the Touchy Subjects podcast. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next time.